Yes, folks, it's Thursday. I'm Fred McMurray. It's 2 p.m. Pacific, and this must be... Here's the five and a half seconds. No, we've been live for about 30 now after the music quit. So anytime you guys want to start talking. My bad. I'm so sorry. Just as we went live, my computer completely dropped me. So happy Friday Eve, Ray. How are you? Welcome to Pillars of Franchising. Oh, great. Great to be back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You were uh, San Diego West Coast bound and it looked like a fabulous trip it was and you know i really enjoy the club i belong to because they just know how to do it right awesome (laughs) and the best part is you know you meet up with a bunch of old friends and you meet a whole bunch of new friends that become old friends the next time you meet (laughs) (laughs) well that's good well welcome back to the show we missed you last week and uh this week you and i get to do a little bit of word on the street and uh, we touched briefly on this last week, but you, you weren't with us when we did. And it's uh, Elizabeth and I were talking a little bit about TikTok last week. Mm. Okay. Now, the interesting thing is most people have the misconception, I have to call it now, that it's typically the younger people who are invo- involved in TikTok. That's what now, I thought. Yeah. I mean, how often do you use TikTok, right? Uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> I'm warming up to it. And, and and part of that is because Elizabeth has sent me a lot of TikToks lately to say, hey, check this out. Hey, check this out. And and they are hysterical. But um, come to find out about 10% of all businesses that they've measured anyway. So who knows the they and where that data comes from. Um, but 10% of all businesses they claim right now are doing marketing on the platform of TikTok. Wow. Some of the interesting data that I was researching, um, this actually, uh, Social Geek Radio had done a segment on it as well. So I had to dig into that a little bit deeper um, because we were exploring doing some recruiting via TikTok Mm. um, for our business. And and obviously you and I talked about it and and Dan and I talked about it. So as I was digging through, I found that 84% of TikTok users plan to shop from online retailers or the brand's website, Hmm. which is interesting, right? Because that tells me that they're more inclined to stay at home and not necessarily go out Mm -hmm. to buy what they're looking for. 39% of users discovered a product or brand that they didn't know about before they saw it on TikTok. Hmm. Wow which was kind of weird, right? But I will say I went out and I bought a special curling iron because I saw this girl on TikTok and she was able to blow dry and curl her hair at the same time. And I was like, 
well, she has kind of straight hair like mine and it's kind of full. And so I went out and got suckered into the same thing she bought. Mm. And it works, but I just don't have patience. You, um, you, it, <laughs> you know, I will lend it to you and see if it gives you a little more body. <laughs> <laughs> and 88% of users say that they actually bought something. Now I'm part of that. They bought something that they saw on TikTok. Hmm. Which brings me full circle to the whole point of more and more companies doing marketing on TikTok. That's very interesting. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think it's something that needs to be looked into. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was thinking about maybe we could do something about cleaning, right? That would be kind of fun if you do some TikTok clean. clean. I think, you know, David and Jerry having both really interesting businesses. You know, David could do some live adjustments mm -hmm. to some groovy music. And maybe Jerry, we could put some scissors in his hands and have him cut to some really cool music, give haircuts to people. <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah, I have visions. I have visions in my head. So oh, just yeah. wait till they come on. Yeah, well, can't you just see a maid running a vacuum cleaner now and kind of dancing to it? <laughs> well, you know, I've been put up to um, making some TikToks lately, so you'll see some of my um, TikToks coming out that I've done, and some of them are the, the soldiers, as I call them, of the vacuums, and then, of course, we have our graveyard, so um, that'll be coming out, but some brands are still quite afraid of using TikTok. Matter of fact, some of the franchise owners that I talked to said they were afraid of putting their brands out there on TikTok because they were afraid that people could respond with negative mm. videos. Now, no. I don't know. I think that that can happen no matter what, right? I mean, even if I have my business out there or I don't, they could be making negative videos right now today. No, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they could go on Google. They could go on Yelp, right? Somebody's got something negative to say. It doesn't matter. They can do that anyway. anyhow. It doesn't matter. It doesn't take TikTok to do that. That's true. That's true. And when you and I talked about age a moment ago, the current user, or 45% of their current user, the age now, the latest data shows is between 20 and 39 years old, but the fastest growing segment is between 35 and 54. Oh, okay. Well, that kind of leaves me out, but that's okay. <laughs> It's funny you should say that because I was going to say it and then I thought, no, because they always get in trouble. <laughs> but it is, okay, so they have over 1 billion active users. Mm. And they are the sixth most used platform in the world. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's pretty crazy, all right. Yeah. So you know I... I hear this because, you know, especially the, the one angle that we're looking at right now, and of course I went on and checking things out, and aside from the thing all the young people are, are excited about that was popped up first right away when I was looking for trending uh, information, was that I can create my own meme now, which I have no interest in doing, um, but is that more and more recruiters and companies are using TikTok for hiring. That I can see. So just want to throw it out there. Now, I do have a question from someone on the chat. How many of the billion users are in the USA? That's a great question. 
I believe, did I get that? No, I did not get that. I cannot tell you that exact answer, but perhaps while we are on break or while I'm on a break, I can go out and find the answer and get back to you before the end of the show. It's 131 million. Look at you, Elizabeth, go. I'm your research girl. Awesome. There we go. Mm -hmm. And it is a Chinese company, so I would have to assume that there are a boatload of users in China. So with that, I say we have to move on. But don't forget, we have a very exciting guest coming up in our call-in number today, as always, is 323-580-5755. Um, so we're so excited to have our guests on the show today on Pillars of Franchising, Leanne Tui of The Blind Side. Um, dubbed a warrior princess by author Michael Lewis in the best-selling book, The Blind Side, Leanne is the inspirational matriarch of the Tui family. Um, she's inspired audiences everywhere to recognize the potential of individuals in their community and to find value in those who society has deemed valueless. She shares her personal blindside observations from seeing Michael Orr for the first time to how the experience changed her as a person and the Tui family as a whole. Um, she and her husband, Sean, have released New York Times bestsellers, multiple of them, but in the um, heartbeat, sharing the power of cheerful giving, they've established a charity, the Making It Happen Foundation. She's actively involved in foster care advocacy. She has her Forever Family Fridays on Instagram that you can follow to, to get more information about that. But, but the reason we invited her on the show today was because they had, um, I think, up to 87 franchise locations, Taco Bell, KFC, Pizza Hut, Long John Silver's. And so we're going to talk to her today about how that has empowered her and her family to be able to do the things with their lives that they want to do. Yes, so Leanne, totally. welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me, ladies. Very nice to see everyone. Oh, we're so excited to be able to talk with you about how exactly you got into franchising and all of the things that franchising has allowed you to do because you have a huge advocacy for um, foster children and what a great way to give back um, to people. So, so tell us a little bit about that. How did you get into the whole franchising scene? Well, it's really kind of a little bit of an uh, embarrassing little story, not for me, but <laughs> I, I have one sibling, I have a brother, and we're very close, his name is Stanford Roberts, and when he was a student at Ole Miss, he um, ha- was overserved one night, let's just say that, <laughs> and apparently had a craving for Taco Bell, mm-hmm. and uh, after driving around, realized that there was no Taco Bell in Oxford, Mississippi, so he called my husband. I'm four years older than he is, and we'd already gone to bed. It was probably midnight, and the phone rang. And it's when you, you know you look at the old caller ID on your phone. It's like, uh oh, it's late. You know, your heart drops. Yeah. And I was like, hello, are you okay? He goes, so, um, do you know there's not a Taco Bell in Oxford, Mississippi? And I said, you know, we should probably talk about this tomorrow when you're going to remember this conversation. And so the next day, bless his heart, he, he had great back ability, and he called me right here. He was not really serious. There was no Taco Bell in Oxford. So I, I'm, I said, well, you're just flippantly kidding. I yeah. said, well, you just check that out and see what you can find out about it. He's a very resourceful little creature, and I will say <laughs> that how he did what he did, he came back and he goes, well, there's, uh, there's somebody that's already kind of looking into putting one in Oxford, and I don't know, but they, they told me that there might be some opportunities somewhere else and in, uh, in other places. And so I just gave him Sean's name and number. 
And I was like, oh, okay, okay, thanks, <laughs> bye, you know. And I kid you not, I, I don't know if it was a month later, 45 days, but it was a considerable amount of time, but not like half a year, right. that my husband got this random phone call from this person. And he goes, you know, I understand that you're interested in putting a Taco Bell franchise somewhere in the state of Mississippi. And my husband was like, he thought Frank phone call. He's like, really? <laughs> Well, is that what you understand, you know? <laughs> and so long and behold, make the long story short, is that the guy said, well, we have an availability in Meridian, Mississippi, which we both had to look at a map and see where Meridian, Mississippi right. was. And at the time, my husband was working for someone else, and he said, look, if I'm going to work this hard, I'd rather be working for myself. And mm -hmm. we truly, everybody that we'd ever met, asked to borrow money from and it found the necessary resources because there's many, 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 many hoops you have to jump through. Oh, now, yeah. Keep in mind, this was 30, we've been married 40 years in June. So this was probably 35 or six years ago. And we somehow, we, we were 20, let's go with six years old. And wow. we filled out forms. I'd go, what do you think? FICA is. I mean, who even <laughs> knew? <Who's> FICA? <laughs> yeah, like, who is this person? And we somehow, I say it was, it's God-driven, because by the grace of God, we got the paperwork filled out, mailed it in, it got there, and the ball started rolling. And before I knew it, we had one Taco Bell in Meridian, Mississippi. And actually, that blossomed into 100-plus, and we just work, work, work. I mean, I can't, my husband worked. 70 hours a week for years and years and years and years and yeah. one became two and then two became five and five became 10 and then it just and let me tell you along that journey there were many many nights that we were like well we don't have the money to, to open tomorrow we don't have the money for payroll we don't have yeah. the, so it th this was not like this was some smooth road with no bumps and hiccups and there were landslides and avalanches and volcanoes that erupted and you name it and it, it happened so a lot of work, a lot of time in the gym, and yeah. thank the Lord that it, it, it worked. So that's how we, my brother, uh, <laughs> after overindulging in, in himself, came up with this idea, and that's how we started with, with number one in Meridian, Mississippi. That is amazing. What a great story. And so I assume that he has a job in the business somewhere? He, did. he and my husband were partners for years and years, and uh, probably the last 15 years, well, last 10 years, with COVID, I have no concept of I time. Know. I can't process the appropriate numbers, but he uh, went into construction and, and has done extremely well with that, but he was an integral part of building the business for many, many years, and we're, we're super close, and we actually opened uh, a new store today in Orlando, Florida, had its soft opening today, so it's everyone's you know, running around trying to make sure that garbage cans are emptied and there's uh, enough, you know, pennies in the drawer to get make change. And yeah, it's a lot on the, on the opening day. It's a soft opening. It's nothing that's, you know, broadcast yet. So it's right. just everybody's feet wet. And so, yeah, we're, we're in the middle of, of the chaos right now. That's interesting. Don't you find that um, you get to be really good at it, but it, every single situation still has its own chaos. Right. Oh, every store has its own set of problems, its own personality, its own story. You know, it depends on location and not as in the city, but like, I mean, not like in the state, but like, are you in a strip center? Or are you on a main road? I mean, it, there's just so right. much 
that becomes a factor in, in, in uh, opening a, of a restaurant and just the daily life of a restaurant? Well, restaurants in general, you weren't, you or you nor your husband were in the restaurant business, right? No, but I mean, this was one of the first. So we graduated from college uh, in June of 19, May of 1982, got married in June of 1982. And only for a year or so, I was a, I was a sales rep. And then I, my degree was in interior design. And about a year after I graduated, uh, my mother's partner retired. When I got ready to go to college, my mother said, oh, you are going to, by the way, you are going to major in interior design. And of course, I said, oh, oh yes, ma'am. I never questioned her. You know, like, I told my daughter that and she went, what? doing that yeah yeah so, there you go uh, but we we've done that's really all sean has done the majority of his adult life is, is okay. open restaurants and it's all been under the yum brand so we've okay. had the taco bell kfc's pizza hut long john silvers a and w's there have been we've we've ventured out in several years ago into the freddy's world and he's uh-huh. had Oh, I don't know, 10, 12 Freddy's. And I just like, do not do those because all I do is go in there and eat everything. I mean, I eat all yeah. that stuff anyway. <laughs> but that, those concrete milkshakes from Freddy's mm-hmm. are just flat addictive. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're great. So, but you, when you first started, I mean, obviously this was your brother's idea and, and you started like with one. Did you, did you ever or your husband ever talk about building this empire? Was that? No. No, I think in his mind that he said, oh, if I get like five stores, I'll be happy. Yeah. And back back in the day when dinosaurs roamed the earth and we first started doing this, <laughs> it, it was a, a whole different ball game than it is now. And, and sure. so it just, you know, you would have a CF two stores in Meridian, Mississippi, and then he opened one in Winona, Mississippi, and then in Grenada, Mississippi. And then it, it just, you know, he went across to Forest, Mississippi, and then he bought a whole clump from corporate in Jackson, Mississippi, and then he came up 55, and then he bought, you know, did Cenotopia mm-hmm. and all these stores on the way, and then he bought a clump of stores in Memphis, well, it, and it just kind of made sense to keep going north, and he had, sure. some, you know, Jackson, Tennessee, and then he went over to yeah. St. Louis, and then up to Cincinnati. His stores were like a crescent moon. They started in Cincinnati, Ohio, and crescent down through St. Louis, Memphis, Jackson, Mississippi, and ended up in the panhandle of Florida, which... He has them like Fort Walton to Panama City, and then he has uh, four here in Orlando, Florida. So obviously the Yum brand, that corporation, that family of brands does extremely well, and there's something about them that you both really like. What is it about Yum brands that has not only attracted you initially, but, but kept you there and made you want to continue to grow various brands under that umbrella? Well, I mean, I, look, I'm, you're speaking to the novice here. Probably Sean should be talking about uh, the franchise world, but my limited knowledge of it, when you get in with a particular brand or restaurant, I personally feel like it's easier to build your brand into that world than just, you know, branching out and trying to do other things because there's so many rules and regulations and restrictions. Yeah. There's also a lot of, no, you know, non-compete. So like, Taco Bell, they would like, if we say, oh, we're going to open Del Taco, that does not today. Yeah. So, there, you know, there, there's, uh, it's just, it doesn't, it's not necessarily your whim. I mean, there's, you are guided and directed by a lot of rules and regulations in the franchise world. So it's, sure. it's just not as easy as what you want to see happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for me personally, I, I'm on the Taco Bell Foundation board. 
and it's a, a great group of people that are on that board. And it is a, the community of Taco Bell franchisees are very big givers. And our foundation does extremely well. We give away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scholarships, millions of dollars worth of scholarships every year to kids um, that are at need, at risk, and, and just awesome. just kids that, that, you know, otherwise might not have the opportunity to get an education. So I love what the Taco Bell um, scholarship and foundation does. I love their platform and their message. And, and other franchise uh, organizations have great ones too. I'm just very uh, passionate about, as you said earlier, kids um, and foster care, kids that are aging out of the system, kids that have no structure, no stability. And I love that Taco Bell has a heart for that. And they want to see these kids have an opportunity for an education. And it might not necessarily be a four-year collegiate education. They're passionate about if kids want to go and learn how to be a computer um, coder, or they want to go to learn how to work on big rig trucks or uh, go to cosmetology school, whatever your passion is, they are uh, all about helping you get to the next level. I think that's fantastic. And I wanted to, to pull out some more about that. Um, so, so clearly you, you got into um, foster care and adoption through your son, Michael, or um, were you interested in that platform before him, or did he sort of open your eyes to the needs, especially of the ones aging out, because he was um, an older child when he needed some help? So how, how did that passion develop? Actually, prior to Michael coming to live with us, we've been involved with several other kids that there was one particular kid that was living with this family that we knew and they were trying to adopt him. That was my first introduction to it. And they, in my mind, had just been great, warm, loving, kind, had done all the right things. And I thought, this is going to be a piece of cake. Because I knew the history of where this child had come from. And I knew that there had been, they had tried to um, reunite him with the family. There had been several incidences of them trying to do the right thing. And it was just not a good situation. And when they went to try to do it legally, it was like, no. And I was, and I was like, well, what do you mean, no? Yeah. And so that kind of opened my eyes to the system. It's a very flawed system. And every state's different. We need federal laws and regulations to look into the whole foster care adoption. It's just, it's just a bad, that we don't, we could talk forever yeah. about it. That's another whole you know, sidebar. But yeah. no, we already knew when um, Michael came into our lives, I already kind of knew the, I knew what, how, what, how this was going to be. And, and so I, we put off doing anything for a very long time because in the people that had crossed our path, it, that's a piece of paper to me. I mean, you know, I, it didn't matter to me whether I legally adopted someone or not. I knew that I loved them. I knew they were part of our family. I knew they'd yeah. always be welcome to our family. But it got to a point that he was just, I'm like, okay, well, all of a sudden he's been here for a really long time and I, I need to try to get, you know, medical care and dental care and yeah. things like that. And you walk in with a six, six African-American with a five foot two blonde and even like trying to get his social security number and things you knew he had where, you know, driver's license, passport, just stuff. It's like, well, why, why do you, what do y'all do? Yeah. You know, yeah. You're not his mother. Yeah. Yeah. So it, so it was, it just became a necessity in our world just to get things done. You know, he needed a, a passport. He needed a driver's license to drive. Yeah. He needed so there were just, it was just like, this needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, I, I wish it was a cut and dry system in this country. It's not. It's just very yeah. messed up. And all these kids are in this situation to no fault of their own. They didn't ask to be there. They're not damaged goods. There's not something right. wrong with them. Uh, it's just, 
because of choices that other people made, they are That's in right. this situation. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's great that you were able to find um, a franchise model that is so closely aligned with what your passion is. I know um, when we were looking to buy a franchise, and a lot of people out there, you know, who are transitioning right now into buying a business, want to have a way to give back. And, and that was really important for me. So when we were comparing companies and models, you know, we were drawn to the Molly Maid uh, franchise because they support victims of domestic violence through the Ms. Molly Foundation. And so if people are out there, and our listeners are, are hearing this, I mean, I think this is yet just another um, point to make. If you're looking for franchises with a cause, they're out there. And sometimes it's the cause that really pulls you in that direction more so than the model. You know, right. and I know I'm that all wasn't about purchasing with a purpose. You know, it's yeah, just, yeah. It really, I mean, I, I think everything that you do should have a purpose, but especially when you're talking about massive amounts of valuable time that you're going to put into it, that it really is great to be aligned and and have yeah. likeness and commonalities. And if you can do that, because you know you're going to be spending an inordinate amount of time getting a new business off the ground. So if you can find an organization or franchise or company that is passionate about making a difference and that that is a part of the being and the fiber of that franchise or that company, then you're going to want to jump in and be more involved. So I don't know that you can always do that, but yeah. if that is a possibility, then I think that that's great. That's just going to motivate you as an individual to get up and be more involved and spend more time getting the company or the franchise to where it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing like giving back to the community you serve is what I always say. So, and then you, you had the movie written about you and your family and Michael. Um, and that I didn't realize that's been a few years back. Yeah. But mm -hmm. people remember it. That is one of those movies that it just doesn't go away. So um, has that created any, um, I don't know, do you hear people go into the businesses that you own and they're like, oh, this is owned by... Or do they have no idea that you own those businesses? <laughs> Molly's behind me shaking her head. She works with me. I think people know. You either know about the blind side or you don't. I mean, the vast majority of people yeah. do. And it has been a number of years. It just tends to be a movie, I think, that resonates with people, which is yeah. great. Mm -hmm. uh, there's many takeaways from it, whether it's valuing people or giving or making a difference, realizing that families don't have to match, learning to love yeah. people that don't look like you. I mean, whatever your takeaway from that movie is, there's a lot of opportunities that you can look at that and, you know, different people take away different things from it. Yeah. But I don't think, I, I, I don't think a lot of the people that go into one of our stores realize that, oh, that's the people from the blind side. There are some that do. Yeah. We were in the store, one of the stores yesterday, and several people realized that. So if, if people see us there, then they can, they connect the dots. Right. But I don't think that that's necessarily uh, happens on a, a regular basis. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's been some years, but we're, we look, if, if people, there are so many great communications we get, whether it's via DMs on social media or leannechewy.com or the foundation website that people tell us the relatable stories. Like, you know, I was going, I was with an aging parent and they had to get uh, dialysis every week and that this movie calmed them down. Or I have a child, a special needs child, and they read, this movie resonates with them. It's just, there's so many wonderful stories that we hear from it. I mean, we didn't yeah. have anything to do with the movie. We didn't make money off the movie. We didn't get, we get, didn't get to 
pick who played. You know, it was just kind of a God-driven thing. Yeah. And But the fact that, you know, all these years later that it still resonates with people and that God tends to use it still to make a difference in people's lives, for that, we're very appreciative and grateful. Yeah, well, I think it's awesome. I mean, the world continues to change every day, right? So, and we just become and, more flexible to that. Yeah, so Leanne, as we're wrapping up here, um, getting close to the, the end of the interview, Tell us about your foundation. Tell us what people can do to make a difference and what your foundation sets out to do. And talk to us a little bit about your Forever Family Fridays. Well, for, uh, each Friday on my social media, on my Instagram, on Facebook, I post a child that's ready to be adopted. We spend an ordinate amount of time vetting these mm-hmm. kids, finding a kid that is ready to be adopted. They don't have to stay in the state they're in. They can, this, this child, all we need is someone to say yes. We will open our hearts and our homes to this child. We will provide them with love and structure and support. We will be there for them. We will get them a Christmas present. Whatever you normal is to you, it's not to these kids, and that's what we're hoping to provide for them. So you can go to my Instagram on Friday. You will see a child posted. And my biggest implore, my greatest ask is, the more that people like that button and, and the algorithm gets up and more people see those those kids. And we literally, the last couple of weeks, we posted a, a young man a couple of weeks ago and there were 24 people that, like our next, our last post, 24 people inquired about um, adopting that young man. I only want one person. 24 just makes me like giddy. I just want to do cartwheels. It's just amazing. Because if only one child gets adopted, then that's a game changer. But we're really having great success with this. And our foundation, the Making It Happen Foundation, is just about providing support for these kids that are aging out of foster care. Because you take somebody like a Michael Orr or whomever, right. and um, the, the system takes care of them on one day when they're 17 years old. And then at midnight, they turn 18, and they're pretty much just kicked to the curb. And yesterday we provided for them, and today they've got nothing. And, and they don't have a, a, the education that they need. They yeah. don't have a family. They don't have a – you know, I look around at my kids and my yeah. family and friends, and I can't tell you the amount of my friends that are taking care of their, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and it goes <laughs> up, 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 up. They're paying phone bills and gas bills and yeah. insurance policies and feeding them three nights a week and subsidizing their rent. But yet we think these kids can age out of foster care at age 18 and boom, do it themselves. Yeah, and then they yeah. turn to drugs and prostitution and sex trafficking. And we're like, yeah. how did this happen? And well, yeah. I mean, come on. What did you think was going to happen? That's well, right. That's when right. you're in your own home. I have five children who range from 23 to 15. And one is completely independent. The other one is still on our insurance. He's mostly independent. But when I look at my 19-year-old who's home for spring break right now, he goes to Southern Miss, by the way. Um, he's not ready. He's right. a smart, bright boy yeah. with a lot of advantages. He's not yeah. ready, you know, to do all of those things. So to think that somebody who hasn't had parental guidance and love yeah. and security and support, to think that somebody like that is who, is, who would be ready is just ludicrous. Right? Yeah. Correct. There's got to be a great transition place for them. They probably don't even understand stand but like in the movie when he said I've never had a bed before yeah. I was like oh you know and, but that's the reality of some of that is a hundred percent the reality and happens every day somewhere in this country in the whole world oh. and one great thing from that scene is I, I can't tell you how many foundations have sprung up because of that that are providing mattresses and bedding and things 
for kids that have never had a bed. Numerous, yeah. numerous, numerous ones. And so I'm very proud of that, that people look at scenarios like that and go, you know, I may not can adopt, but I can provide a bed for somebody. Absolutely. And so that's a beautiful thing. And there are just like, I have a friend, comfort cases, and they don't rob, my friend Rob Shearer, he does not want foster kids when they age them out. Most of them go out with a black garbage bag. Yeah. And they try to provide backpacks, and I mean backpacks, that are filled with so many things that these kids need to try to get started. So a lot of great things have come from the movie. And if people continue to watch it and go out and want to make a difference and have a heart to inspire and uplift others, then gosh, I'm all about that because these kids certainly need it. Well, it gave me chills. And I have to say, if anybody watches it and they don't get chills and it doesn't touch them, there's something wrong. I agree. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I agree with you. We just had a group of, of kids in uh, to the Orlando area a couple of weeks ago, and they're they're actually they were from different places in the South, and we brought three kids in at one time to take them to the Disney parks, and you know none of them had ever flown, none of them had ever stayed in a hotel, none of them had ever eaten a meal where you paid for it after you ate. I could just go on and on and on and on of, yeah. of the things. And people, like I just said a minute ago, people always say, you know, I just can't adopt. It's too daunting. That's great. You may not can adopt, but there are things that you can do. You can mentor Absolutely. a kid. You can read with them for an hour. You can go over math with them. You can pick up, uh, do a big brother, big sister, take a kid to lunch, yeah. take them to ride elevators, uh, treat them to a meal where they pay you pay for it after they eat. If you don't know what you can do, you hook up with me on my social media and I will help oh. you find something to do. Trust me. And, and that's great because that's exactly what I was going to ask you next is, can you please tell our listeners and viewers how to get in touch with you and or the foundation so that um, everyone can jump in and start helping out where America really needs it? Well, I, you can go to leantui.com. Uh, I have an Instagram. It's just leantui. Facebook. Our foundation is the Making It Happen Foundation. So it's just www.makingithappenfoundation.com. We have a place you can go there and leave questions. And we have some great women that work every day with me that read these things. And we, we pull them all together and we try to do what we can with all the requests. And, and so we just do everything that we can to answer every single person that mm-hmm. asks us and, and, and direct you. We do a lot of dot connecting, uh, whether it's, hey, I, I live in a city and do you have a tutor for a foster kid? We, we just, there's, you just can't imagine the things we get asked. Some of them we go, up, oh, stupid, delete. Um, <laughs> right. But for the majority of them, um, we, we try to jump in and do what we can to, to help. Absolutely. Well, I have to say, I, you know, I'm sure on behalf of a lot of people and listeners out there, thank you for all the great work that you do. And I love that you know, the franchise you guys chose is so closely aligned. And I'm sure that with all of your great success, that allows you more time to focus on the foundation and do great things with it. So thank you so much for coming on. You, This will not be the last time I'm sure that we speak with you, whether it's about young brands or whether it's about, you know, making it happen or the blind side, there's just so much that we could learn about you and the great work that you do. So thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you, Lays. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you 
reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a y.com. Hey, Jerry. Uh-oh, we can't hear you. It's got to be the mix-up in your phone versus your iPad again. But I know you're coming on, and we're going to talk about your book, Live It to Own It, today. And the chapter we're going to talk about is Chapter 10. And I don't see your little mute sign, but you're still not coming through with any audio. I don't know what's happening here. But if you haven't had a chance to pick up a copy of Jerry's book, it is Live It to Own It. And you can find that on Amazon. He has it available in a paperback uh, as well as in digital uh, form. So you can download that. I happen to have both copies or both ways. And I love the um, actual paperback because then I can highlight and I can page flag and everything else and put notes in it. Um, and then obviously I have the digital form that I can take with me anywhere I go in my phone. Jerry, are you Plus it's got great artwork. It does. The artwork is really cool. And you don't get any of that on the digital version. No, none of it. Kristen, I'm sorry for the problem, but no you're right. my phone was muted. I don't know what's going on. But anyhow, here I am. I tell yeah. you, Lisa Tui was fantastic, wasn't she? She is the kindest, nicest lady. I mean, I just don't know what else to say about her. And, and the, the image she painted for me in my head, I can't get it out when she said that, you know, these, these poor foster kids turn 18 and they literally throw them on the street with a black garbage bag. Yeah, that's just crazy. You know, I was sitting, that's terrible, all that stuff. But I was sitting here thinking, I'm a big Sandra Bullock fan. Oh, but yeah. after listening to, you know, listening to the real thing, I think she could have played her own part in that movie, to be honest with you. For sure. For sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Very, She's great. Very, well, I want to talk about operations today. My favorite part. It's, well, you know, Kristen, here's the thing most people don't understand. And if you're not in a franchise system in particular, you don't understand. But unfortunately, far too many people who are already in, in the franchise system don't understand it. Operations makes and breaks the whole organization. Yes. If your operations aren't where they need to be, it doesn't make any difference. But your product or service is, you will not be successful. Yep. You have got to be able to operate that at a very high level. And you know, there's a lot of beautiful things about franchising, but one of the one of the detractions I think that we need to keep in mind is so many franchisees come in and they buy the whole business in a box thing and the fact they don't have to be engaged. And right. as you've heard me say this in other chapters and other subjects, but the fact is if that franchisee doesn't stay engaged and build a great structure and a, and a great community and great culture, they're going to be they're going to be upside down forever. So sure. I really want to I really want to dig into this. And and anybody that buys my book, I want you to mark up this whole chapter because it is critical. And what most of our other mentors would tell you, and you'll see this in the operations chapter, it still comes back to the people. Absolutely. Because 
doesn't make any difference how, what your hierarchy is or, you know, what the hard things are that make up operations. It still comes back to the people and the culture. So, um, you know, we've done a lot of turnarounds, a lot of acquisitions and turnarounds. Mm-hmm. And the number one thing we've done that has led to doubling and tripling volume in some of those turnarounds is change the organizational structure and work with the people to retrain them internally because that's what your customers see. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those who touch the customers, right? And I don't mean physically, but have that direct impact. Yeah, so I've got a list of things and I'll just throw some things out here for us to to kind of think about. I always start when I'm talking about operations and I'm talking about a franchisee, I always talk about leading from the front. Because if you can't be out in front and show your team what you believe in and what you stand for and what you expect, there's not a chance they're all going to do it when they're with the customer. So for anybody thinking about becoming a franchisee, you got to understand that's going to be one of the keys. If you're already a franchisee and there's struggles in your world, take a look in the mirror and make sure that you're doing everything you should be doing before you start breaking down everything going on within the organization. So for me, that's number one. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think it's critical that you're authentic with your staff because you want them to be authentic with the, the uh, people they're dealing with, the customers, the clients, the patients, whatever it might happen to be. You've got to be authentic. You can't have a false face in front of them because they'll sense it. And oh, if totally. you don't, if you don't stand for something, you don't stand for anything. I mean, they, they're just going to give up. So you've got to be authentic with those people. They've got to really believe that you are engaged and that you're doing the things you're asking them to do. That's right. So uh, the, the next one I'll tell you is roll up your sleeves. And you heard me say it time and time and time again. I sweep hair when I go into salons. That's the only thing in that salon I'm qualified to do. I sweep <laughs> a lot of hair. <laughs> well, you can come over to my business, Jerry, because you're qualified to do all kinds of toilet cleaning and kitchen cleaning. There's no whole part over here. I, I can do about anything. It just depends on how well you pay, okay? <laughs> got to understand that, Kristen. <laughs> but, you know, you got to model the ways. you got to model the expectations, and that comes down to you. And yep. it's easy for me to walk out of a bathroom in one of our salons that's, that's not up to my standards and complain to somebody, but it sends a whole different message when I go grab things and go back and clean that bathroom. Because right. I guarantee you, the staff is all watching. And Absolutely. they're going, oh, we, we should have done a better job. Jerry caught us. I don't have to say a word, and it immediately changes. Yep. So making sure you're ready to do all of that kind of stuff is critical. Um, you know, another thing, and many franchisees get in their own way with this, you got to let your ego go. So when you talk about operations, you put something in place for operations, and if it doesn't work, don't beat a dead horse. Right. Change it. Talk to your staff and say, man, this was great. It's the way that, you know, maybe other people do it or something like that, but it's not working for us. So let's team up. Let's work together as a group. It's not just me and my team. It's all of us as a team. Let's work together and come up with a solution to this. And when your staff helps solve that problem, your operation side just continues to run smoothly after that because they feel like they own it. Yeah, absolutely. They have buy-in. And you know what's interesting is, you know, a lot of the metrics and things are set or outlined or defined by your franchisor, right? So when people think the business in the box, maybe that's where they're getting it, but it's not that easy because it's not just here you go and it works. 
you have to make it work. You have to build the teams that make it work. You have to figure all of it out. It doesn't just happen automatically. Well, well, no, and everything we've just talked about is a part of that, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you've got to be able to get your teams to a certain level, and yep. a lot of that comes back to you and what you expect. Corporate does a lot of cool things, and they send out a lot of stuff, but still it's your business, it's your organization. Right. So keeping, keeping goals in sight so that your staff understands them and understands the reasons for them, and in some cases the old, the old uh, you know, with them, what's in it for me type thing. That's right. So meeting your goals goals and what does that lead to for you and so on. We're big on all of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, and this is going to sound funny, but franchisees, if they're really engaged, still need to rest once in a while. So part of your organization is putting your heart and soul into it and then stepping away, letting your team do their thing, take a little rest, take a breath, and then review it with them and continue to go back and making sure they're doing it the way that it should be done. But at the same time, let them grow, let them explore review it from afar. So there's a, there's a long list of other things that we can talk about under operations, but for me, it's all critical coming back to that. And so it, the only way that that works is if you can keep your staff. So training them beyond just the nuts and bolts of running it. My, like we give, um, we give financial literacy training to our stylists so they understand how to manage their money. So they're happier with their job. They're happier with their income because they see their life changing. Uh-huh. So even that is something pretty cool to do because retaining those good staff members is the future of your organization. So operations still is all wrapped into people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I like real quickly, you said on here, always be recruiting. And I think that is even more critical today than ever before. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I think it's critical to always be recruiting. Number one, you don't know when somebody's going to leave. So having somebody in the, you know, sitting on the bench waiting for you, I train people, I hire them, I have a little higher overhead sometimes than I need to, but there's always somebody ready to step in. So yep. we don't miss a beat. Uh, I'll find things for them to do. I'm hiring doctors before I have a clinic to put them in right now and letting them work part-time in other clinics and paying them so yep. they're ready to go. So always be recruiting. And then let's face it, sometimes you have trouble with a staff member. It would be great to have somebody that's going to do the job better, so you have to be prepared for that, too. So I think always be recruiting is critical. And before we hear from Fred in the background, I am still very bullish on this being a great time to be into franchising. Buy a franchise, do your research, and for those of you even thinking about it, remember, you've got this whole group of pillars, people, that are here to mentor you and help you and answer questions. And we don't go away. When you need us, we're going to be here. So now's a great time to consider franchising. Thank you so much, Jerry. As as he said, we're all here to help you find the good, the bad, and the ugly, all the brands that you might be interested in. Thank you again. And be sure to check out Jerry's book again online or in the paperback version, Live It to Own It. See you, Kristen. All right, so once again, we've got Jerry's book, liveittoownit.com is the website to find his book and purchase it. We also want to say a thank you to the Titus Center for Franchising uh, for sponsoring the show in the magazine, as well as the Franchise Show 247. Um, you can find them both on their websites of the same names and give them a little support. Um, up next, we are going to have Karen's Book of the Month. Um, and she and David have both read it, so we're about to have a lively discussion on Atomic Habits. Well, hello, Karen. 
Hello. So lively discussion about that. A lively discussion. <laughs> well, and, and I think that I think that's appropriate because the book and the topic that you're going to talk about, I mean, it, it really can change lives today, right? I mean, because the difference between successful people versus unsuccessful people is really successful people do the things that they don't really want to do. And, and that takes establishing habits, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, and one, one of the things I think also people don't, you know, 50% of our habits are automatic. Whether they're good or not, they're just automatic that we're doing. And so it's really stopping and thinking about those habits as well, right? Because you said if you can have the right habits, that's going to lead to success. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think the biggest thing is when, when you really break down that statement, and I can't remember who told that to me, but it's true, and I've heard it several times since, is, is it's, it's really just small habits that are done consistently, right? And then consistency compounds. So it, it, in, in any part of somebody's life, it's usually the small mundane tasks that someone's doing that they don't think they're getting any benefit or gaining any traction, but those are what's compounding and layering upon each other that's gonna take them to the end result, isn't that? I mean, that's really the key. Absolutely, absolutely. The book that we're talking about, for, for those of you, it is James Clare's book. It's called Atomic Habits. And it's one of my, you know, it's one of my favorite books. And what I like about it, and what I like about even the, how he really looks at habits, it's really thinking about it. So it's really kind of thinking about, okay, what makes a habit? And then I love it because it gives us tools and a process. Because I think you're, a lot of times you don't, we don't think about that. And we know that habits, it does compound by focusing on it. And the more you can connect your good habits together, that's where you're going to get the, the, the success. And so that's what I love about it. He really talks about how do you create a good habit and how do you break a bad habit. Throughout the whole book, he gives a lot of, I mean, each chapter is 17, 18 chapters. Yeah. Long. And, he, and, and what I love about this, the book, though, is it gives a summary at the end, which is kind of your to-do list, your action plan. Summarize the chapters. There's vignettes and parables throughout each chapter. And then he brings it to the end and then says, okay, here's a summary. And then he has a bunch of resources that you can go and actually complete, you know, based on the chapter that you had just read. Um, so I think, I thought that was great. But the, the thing that caught my attention too was he was talking about habits and he was also talking about goals. And I'm, I'm a big goal-oriented person. And I've taught goals, <laughs> yes. And, but people... And it's funny, a lot of times say, hey, you got to take goals. Goals don't work or they roll their eyes. Or, oh, my gosh. But what, what they really don't understand is you can set a goal, right? Every, every athlete, professional athletic team, any athletic team has a goal to win a championship, right? I mean, it doesn't mean that every team that, that didn't win failed. I mean, they didn't reach their goal. But what he brought out really, and I, I thought he, he expressed it very well, was something that I always teach to not only my, my, the teams I've, I've taught or coached and, and the people I've mentored is, is the process is, is, is what's important to get you to the goal. So you want to have a goal, but the process is really a better goal. And what I always tell everybody is when the, when the goal is the process, then the process becomes the goal. And he writes a whole chapter on that, on making sure that it's the little incremental steps, the 1% better every day in the right. process that will ultimately lead you to that. Absolutely. And then, and then you take that and you take it tied to the identity. And that's also to me because same thing where, you know, I, um, I uh, owned a, a self-training company. And so we would always talk about, you know, behaviors. And, and, and what I found, though, was by tying those behaviors with identity, 
with someone what they even thought of themselves as a salesperson. I am a successful salesperson because the identity piece, it's my judgment. It's how I think of myself. You know, it's, it's, it's all wrapped up there. So I love it that he said, start there first. Make sure you've mm-hmm. got the, the right mindset, the identity, the vision, and then tying that process to it and then getting to the goal. And you're right. Many times people just focus on goal and they're like, well, why, why can't I successfully connect or, 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 or do that goal? And it's really going back and kind of starting with that identity first. And, and I loved how he really, he really tied that together. Yeah, he tied that together strong all the way through. But it, it, and then he brought something that I drew a, another parallel with was one of the things when I trained, when I was coaching my college teams, was used to always impress upon them. You can only rise to the level of your preparation. You can never exceed your level of preparation. You can never exceed the self-image you have of yourself, right? Which right. is what he's talking about. So, but on, on the inverse, you're only, if you're, you're going to fall to the level of your habits and, and the process you put around them, right? So Absolutely. I don't care what, what the process is, what your habit is, if it's kind of mindless eating, right? Or, or just mindlessly scrolling through your phone. And then you're wondering why you're not getting the same results. Maybe somebody that's successful, maybe they don't have those habits, right? Maybe they put in some safeguards. Yeah. So, so you, you know, you're only going to rise to the level of your preparation, but you will fall to the level of your habits and the process that you have and the safeguards you have in your life. Right. It's that, one of the things I love that, that he says in the book, it, and he has a whole, you mentioned his whole checklist of, of, mm-hmm. of what to do to create a good habit. And the first thing is taking a look at filling out a habit scorecard and knowing what your habits are. And he talks yeah. about even connecting your habits. And one example that he uses, or he used, that I do now, he said, you know, if you've got a crazy, crazy day and everything, you know, you feel like you can't get as much done, it's connecting those habits, connecting your habits together is a good thing. So the one example was, take a habit you're doing already. Try to connect a habit you want to start. So one of mine is, is having a cup of coffee in the morning. So then what I do when I have my cup of coffee now, the habit I want to start is making sure I plan my day. So I'm tying it with, I know I'm going to have my cup of coffee. So it's tying a habit that I want to do with a habit I'm already doing. And again, I thought that was really, it's like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. But when you think about it, you don't really, you don't really necessarily consciously do that. Yeah, I thought that was cool. He called it habit stacking and he gave the example yeah. in the book. <laughs> After my current habit, yeah. I will, my new habit, which is exactly what you just described. Right. And, and, and I mean, it's brilliant and it's, and it's brilliant in its simplicity. I mean, he really breaks it down. But a lot of people just run and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to create a habit. Mm-hmm. You know what? Read the book or get into it. Do the exercise. Do the plans. Because there's psychological, and we don't have time to get into this, but there right. are so many psychological triggers and reasons how, why bad habits form and how you can form good habits and the dangers of both. I mean, it, it's a pretty in-depth book. But you know, it's it's one of the reasons why I don't make and why I don't do New Year's resolution. <laughs> Everybody says, "Oh, you could do New Year's resolution." I'm like, "No, to me that's the silliest thing ever." Because why would I wait, whatever number of months, days, whatever, till New Year's to create a new habit? If there's something I want to change, I'm going to change right. it. <laughs> I'm not going to wait till New Year's and go, "Well, you know, six months later, oh, now I've got to lose another 20 pounds. I'm not exactly. going to do that. I'm going to change my habits now. And, yeah. and I think part of the problem is, yes, we said uh, consistency compounds, but most people 
you can make little changes. You can say, hey, you know what? Today I'm going to switch from a from a um, you know a soft drink to a bottle of water. That's a small change that you don't really see an immediate impact if you're trying to lose weight, for instance. So right. a lot of those habits, and he talks about this, is you don't really notice that difference immediately, but Absolutely. it compounds. And what he said was, I think if I can rephrase it, bad habits show up. How do you say it? Good. I can't remember how he said it, but basically your habits can show up in the future. Absolutely. So if you have a bad habit today and you just kind of say, okay, I'll eat a donut today, whatever, but you did it every day. Yeah, that donut's not going to add 10 pounds to you today. But if you look at it two years from now, it might. Right. And that's kind of what he really brings about in that book. Right. And I, what I love, too, is that he really talks about really anyone who is starting a franchise, you know, you have your franchise. It's really we make sure that we have those those good habits, that we start the good habits, um, because it really does connect to our success and having a successful franchise, having a successful business and making sure Jerry was talking about that, too. Right. It's some of some of what he was talking about. Those are habits. Those are habits. Right. Walking in the in the store and and, you know, as he mentioned, he's he's sweeping the hair off the floor. Those are yes. habits that can lead to success. And so really recommend that, that you pick up the book. I know you can get it on Audible. Um, find, find someone to read it with. We were talking about that, where it'd be great to, you know, have a team of people that you're, that you're reading it with, because then there's an accountability partner there, too, as well. Yeah, he brings that up, too. I think that's awesome. And, yeah. and I think, you know, I mean, the bottom line is habit is, is a behavior that's that's repeated right. enough times that it becomes automatic. So absolutely. if absolutely. you think about that, it really is an important life-changing topic that you brought today. Absolutely. And, and I highly recommend the book. You can get it audible. Um, he has notes on the website. And, and again, it's very, it's very practical. What is it? A lot of times common sense isn't necessarily common practice. So it's really making right. common practice. That's awesome. Great stuff. We could talk about this forever. Go Thank start a mastermind or a book club or something. Go go through the book. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot, Karen. Appreciate Thanks. it. All right. I was right. Lively discussion. And if you want more information on Atomic Habits, James Clear's website is jamesclear.com. He has a lot of supplemental information, and I think is a pretty good communicator through his website. So try that out. Um, but first and foremost, everybody has an assignment. Number one is to go to pillarsoffranchising.com and subscribe um, so that you will get our next issue of the magazine, which comes out a week from tomorrow. Um, the April issue will be out. We've got Ruth Agbaji from CodeWiz on the cover and a lot more jam-packed content um, from cover to cover. So pillarsoffranchising.com, go subscribe right now. Hi, David. Hello, Ray. How are you today? I, I'm good. I think you are in the most exciting part of uh, starting a franchise <laughs> and, <laughs> and the hardest part. But, uh, you know, the, tell us, where are you? I mean, what's the difference between hiring a doctor and hiring a maid? <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> well, I mean, as you know, and we've referenced the threat, the starting construction before you open phase, it's a hurry up and wait. And then wait and really hurry up. It's just, there's just, it, there's no continuity. There's no flow when you're opening. So right now we're in this little bit of a chaotic moment where we're trying to get open, construction's finishing up, um, and then we're in the hiring process. So now you're lining up interviews and, and me being out of state, I'm trying to time everything up to say, okay, line up these interviews. Hopefully they show up for them because I don't want to drive four and a half hours and then just drive back. So, 
so that all that whole piece, um, you know, it's just tying it all together and working through it. And and um, you know, not everything's going great with construction. Not everything is going great with with the supplies that are coming. And we talked about that. But the big thing that um, you know we're dealing with right now, and actually, I'm at a joint. I'm at a location. You can see the poster behind me, the labor laws. But I wanted to do this from from my location, but um, we actually had to go to a different location because in this state, and again, this is why going back to Jerry's, you know, stuff, you know, probably weeks and maybe months ago when he was really dialing into, hey, know the state's laws. This is important because in this particular state, as a franchisee, since I'm not a doctor and it's a kind of considered a medical clinic, I can't necessarily be the owner. I can't necessarily hire the doctors, hire the chiropractors. So we have to form an arrangement, a management agreement with a doctor called, uh, you know, so then he technically can hire, train, fire, every, anything with the doctors. I can't do anything. So we're in a different part of the state because we had to get a bank account open and, and sign our agreements and the whole bit. And I couldn't make it to my location in time. So, so I'm here. So this, this has been, and again, Jerry referenced this earlier. Yes, franchising is a business in a box. But since November, this I've known this is part of the process, and I've been asking about it. Hey, this seems complicated, and everybody was kind of saying, "Hey, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal." Well, I want to make sure if it's in here, <laughs> I don't want to surprise several years down the road. Well, it turns out it is a pretty big deal, and it's pretty complicated, and it's pretty involved, and we'll get it done. But this goes back, and you know, to what Jerry was alluding to is you know, you still have to run your own business. It isn't, hey, I've signed on the line, get me going. That's where we're at today. Construction's finishing up. Um, I have a bunch of interviews coming up for uh, one position uh, over the next few days. We'll get that filled. I need two docs, two chiropractors. I have one, um, and we're working on finding another one. Unfortunately, I can't open until that second one comes on board. So I'd love to say in my old restaurant world, hey, we're opening up on this date because we're fully staffed and ready to go. Um, but I can't say that. So it's kind of an awkward situation, but again, learning to adapt. Every business has its little, every franchise, everybody has its little nuance. And that's what this one is. So, you know, we're going to stay optimistic and, and keep plugging and hopefully we find one next couple of weeks and, you know, not be delayed too long, but, but we plan for it. Yep. And it sounds like you're getting all your ducks in a row because as you know, what you do now will affect your business later. So it's it's very important to get everything right now, and so you don't have to worry too much as you go down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll paraphrase my my last business partner when we were doing a remodel, and everybody wanted the the store to the restaurant to to open quick. You, know, you only you should only do remodels should take ten days. Well, he said, you know what? We'll we'll take fourteen days, seventeen days, whatever it takes. And we used to laugh and like, oh, you're going to lose all these sales. And he used to say, if at the end of all this 25 years, 30 years, I go back, boy, I wish we would have opened those three days earlier after the remodel, because then we did something wrong. And, and I think that's a phenomenal philosophy is, is, yes, are we anxious? Do we want to get going? Do we want to start generating revenue? Of course. But if a couple of weeks delay is going to make or break the business, and then, then you, you, you just weren't capitalized enough. That's so no big deal. Do we want it to open? Yes. Is, is it going to stress me out? No. We know that it's going to open when it's supposed to open. All right. 
Right, absolutely correct. Get it right the first time. Get it right the first time. Yep, absolutely. So hopefully next week um, I'll have a have, have a good update, and we'll actually you know maybe be close to picking a date. But but we're we're pretty close. We're pretty close. It's pretty exciting. Yep, thank you. Thanks, David. You're welcome. Sorry about that. I pulled in Elizabeth. <laughs> Oh, the, the joke is that, I, you know, we always tease Elizabeth about that. Well, actually, I do. So, anyway, we want to thank all of you for joining us on the show today with our guest, Leanne Tui. Please be sure to like, share, and comment on this episode as well as the others. Thank you to Ray Piller, David Kajanik, and Ray, and uh, Jerry Akers, our Million Dollar Mentors, for the insight and wisdom. Thanks to Ken Kinsey Ford of Dale Carnegie, Laura Liss, our franchise attorney from Fran Law, Elizabeth Denham and Fred McMurray, our producers, and I am Kristen Shalmessi, your fourth million dollar mentor, and together we are your resource for franchising success. This has been Pillars of Franchising, and the dream starts here. Have a great week.